Heart of the World by H. Ryder Haggard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 10 How Molas Died. For some minutes we rested to recover our breath. Then we started forward again. In front went the girl, Maya, our guide, whom the Senor led by the hand, while behind followed Zibalbe, supported by Molas and myself. At first these two had run as quickly as the rest of us, but now all the fatigues and terrors that they had undergone took hold of them, so that from time to time they were forced to stop to rest. This was little to be wondered at, indeed, seeing that during five days that had eaten no solid food, for it had been Don Pedro's purpose to starve their secret out of them. Doubtless he would have succeeded in this design, or in doing them to death, had it not been for a quantity of certain preparation of the cuca leaf mixed with pounded meat and other ingredients which they carried with them. Zibalbe had the secret of this Indian food, and by the help of it he and his daughter had journeyed far across unpeopled wastes, for so wonderful are its properties that a piece no larger than a bullet will serve to stay a man's stomach for twenty-four hours, even when his power is taxed by work or travel. On this nutriment they had sustained themselves to the amazement of their captor, who could not discover whence they drew their strength. Still it is a stimulant rather than a food, and so great was their craving to fill themselves, that as they ran they plucked cobs of the Indian corn and devoured them. Our path lay through a tropical forest so dense, that even when the sun shone the gloom was that of twilight. Many sorts of huge and uncouth trees grew in it, whereof the boughs were starred with orchids and hung with trailing ferns, or in places with long festoons of grey Spanish moss that gave them a very strange and unnatural appearance. Up these trees climbed creepers, some of them thicker than a man's thigh, and beneath them the ground was clothed with soft wooded bush or with vast breaks of a plant that in Mexico attains a height of from ten to twelve feet, which the Senor told me is cultivated in English gardens under the name of Indian shot. Slowly and with much toil we forced a path through this mass of vegetation. Now we were creeping over the rotten trunks of fallen and fern-encumbered trees, now foot by foot we must make our way between the stout stems of the Indian shot, and now our clothes were caught and our flesh was torn by the hook-like thorns and brambles, or our feet tripped in the roots of climbing plants. No breath of air penetrated that measureless thicket whereof the stagnant atmosphere, laden with the decay of ages, choked and almost overpowered us, causing the sweat to start from every pore. Above us, hiding the sky, hung masses of deep green foliage, 
beneath which we struggled on in the solemn gloom and the silence that was broken only from time to time by the grunting of an ape or by a distant crash as some great tree after centuries of life fell with a noise like thunder to the earth from whence it sprang this forest that seemed so destitute of life was peopled by millions of insects all of them venomous garrapatos tiny gray flies wood wasps and ants black and red tormented us with their bites and stings till we groaned aloud in misery then remembering our danger pushed on again thus two hours and more passed until reaching a little stream that ran through a ravine in the forest we paused to drink and to cool our fevered feet and hands. Zibalbay sank exhausted on the bank, where I brought him water in my sombrero, while his daughter sat herself down on a stone in the stream, suffering it to flow over her feet and ankles that by now were swollen with ant bites and bleeding from the cuts and thorns and grasses. Presently she looked up, and seeing the Signor, who stood upon the bank, talking to me, she invited him with a motion of her hand to seat himself beside her. "'What is your name, white man?' she asked. Uh, "'James Strickland, lady.' "'James Strickland,' she repeated with some difficulty. "'I thank you, James Strickland, for rescuing my father from torment and me from insult.' and because of that deed I, Maya of the heart, whom many have served, am your servant for ever. Oh, you should thank my friend Don Ignacio, he said, pointing to me. For a few moments she looked at me searchingly, then replied, I thank him also, but you I thank the most, for your hand rid me of that hateful man and saved us. Ah, uh, it is early to return thanks lady he said we are not out of danger yet i have little fear now that we have escaped from that dreadful house she answered almost indifferently since our hiding place is at hand also how can they find us in this forest hark what was that as she spoke a faint and distant sound fell upon our ears such a sound as might have been made by a bell struck far away at night. That is how they will find us, he said, springing to his feet. Do you hear, Ignacio? The dogs have hit our trail. Which way does our road run now, lady? Along the banks of the stream. Then we must go forward in the water, said the Signor. It is our only chance, for the hounds cannot track us there. Now we began to scramble down the bed of the stream as fast as the boulders and the weariness of Zibalbe would allow. Fortunately, it was not a broad river, nor very deep. Still, sometimes we could scarcely stand in the rapids, and twice, not daring to sit foot upon the bank, we were forced to swim the length of the pools, which we did in terror, fearing lest they should be haunted by alligators. For something over an hour we followed the stream thus, till suddenly Maya halted, saying that if we would gain the building where they had dwelt, we must leave the water and plunge into the forest. By now we were exhausted. 
Indeed, unless he were carried, the old Indian, Zibalbe, could not have gone another mile. So, notwithstanding the danger of setting foot upon the land, on learning that the place was near and that food was to be found in it, we hesitated no longer, but once more began to thread the brush. Not more than three hundred paces from the banks of the river we came upon a high mound densely overgrown with trees, between the boles of which appeared masses of cut stone. "'This is the place,' gasped Zibalbe. "'Look yonder above us are the walls of the temple, and here is the stairway that led to it.' and he pointed to a long flight of crumbling stone steps, almost hidden in ferns and bushes, which stretched from the base of the pyramid to the ancient Indian fane on its crest. Up these steps we went with caution, for the climb was dangerous, Molas carrying Zibalbe upon his back, since so weary was he that the old Indian could mount them in no other fashion. The staircase was built in three flights, the top flight now almost entirely broken away, emerging on what once had been a broad and splendid terrace, but today was a chaos of stonework, in the crevices of which grew bushes and even large trees. Over the head of the stairway still stood a colossal arch, sculptured with the figures of gods and beasts. Not a true arch, however, for these were unknown to the old Indian builders, but fashioned of stones which projected further and further till the topmost of them overlapped each other. This arch, if so I may call it, was in the last stage of decay. Indeed, the crown of it, a mass of masonry that must have weighed between one and two hundred tons, had been nearly separated from its supports by the action of time and rain, aided perhaps by a shock of earthquake, and hung threateningly over the top steps of the stair. In truth, so slight were the attachments which remained between it and its supporting side columns and buttresses, that at first sight it seemed as though it must fall at once. A closer examination showed, however, that it was held in place by three or four great roots, which, springing from trees that grew upon the crown of the arch in the course of years, had thrust themselves deep into the crevices of the masonry of the massive pillars, and through their foundations into the soil beneath. Beyond the arch, on the farther side of the terrace, rose the ruined temple, a long, single-storied building with a flat roof whereon grew many shrubs and palms. Passing through the central doorway of this temple, Maya led us into a chamber decorated everywhere with serpents carved in stone, which had been occupied and recently, for it was clean, and upon the floor were ashes and bits of burnt wood. In the corner also lay a little pile of articles, covered with a serape that Maya hastened to remove, revealing, amongst other things, an earthen cooking-pot, a copper axe of similar workmanship to the machete with which the Signor had killed Don Jose, two curiously fashioned blow-pipes with a supply of poison darts, and lastly bags containing dried flesh, beans, and coca-paste. 
"'All is safe,' she said. "'Now let us eat that we may be strong to meet danger.' While we were filling ourselves thankfully with the dried meat, the Signor spoke to me, saying he hoped that our pursuit had been abandoned. Uh, "'You can know little of these men to speak thus,' I answered. "'They must hunt us down for their own sakes. "'Also, Don Pedro will certainly seek to avenge the blood of his son. "'Our only hope is that the water will baffle the hounds, "'or, if they strike the place where we left it, "'that the heat of the day may have killed our scent. "'But I fear this will not be so, since the ground is damp beneath the trees.' "'Then what do you propose to do?' he asked. "'Start on again, or stop here?' "'Senor, we must stop here, because we cannot travel further, "'unless we would abandon the old man and his daughter. "'Moreover, in the forest it would be easy to overwhelm us, "'but this place is hard to climb, and here at least we may die fighting. "'Let us make ready for the worst, Senor.' "'How are we to make ready?' he asked, "'when we have nothing to fight with except machetes and Indian blowpipes. "'The powder in the pistol flasks is damp, and the caps will miss fire, "'so that if we are attacked our death is certain.' "'It seems so,' I answered. "'Yet, if it pleases God, we may live. "'Yonder lie stones in plenty. "'Let us pile them up beneath the archway.' Perhaps we can kill some of our foes by rolling them down the steps. This we did then, while Maya watched us. At length the task was finished, and as we turned to leave the heaps of stone, of a sudden we heard a dog baying down the river, followed by the sound of men and horses forcing a pass path through the bush. For a while we stared at each other in silence, then Molas said, "'They are coming.' "'If so, I wish they would come quickly,' answered the Signor. "'Why, white man, are you afraid?' asked Maya. "'Yes, very much,' he answered with a little laugh, "'for the odds are heavy, and probably we shall soon be killed. "'That is, all the men among us will be killed. "'Does not the prospect frighten you?' "'Why should it?' she answered with a shrug and a smile. "'Seeing that if it comes to the worst, I shall be killed too, and spared a long journey home. "'How can you be sure of that, lady?' "'So,' she answered, holding a tiny blowpipe dart before his eyes, "'if I prick myself with this here,' and she touched a large vein in her neck, "'in one minute I shall be asleep, and in two I shall be dead.' "'I understand, but you talk of death very easily for one so young and beautiful. "'If so, Signor, it is because I have not found life too soft, "'nor,' she added with a sigh, "'do I know what destiny awaits me in the future, "'but I do know that when we sleep upon the heart of heaven, "'we shall find peace, if nothing more.' Oh, "'I hope so,' said the Signor. "'Look, here they come.' and as he spoke a party of seven or eight men three of them riding on mules appeared at the foot of the mound and dismounting picketed their animals to trees now for it said the senor rising and shaking himself like a dog that leaves the water i wonder how many of us will be left alive when the sun sets as he spoke one of the men reached the foot of the stairway holding a great hound at leash 
For a moment the dog sniffed the stones, and lifting his head he bayed aloud, whereat the band shouted, for they knew that they had trapped us. Still for a while they did not advance, but gathering themselves in a knot, they consulted together earnestly. We looked at each other in despair, for truly our case was desperate. Fly we could not, and we had no arms wherewith to fight. Therefore it seemed certain that within some few minutes we must lose our lives at the hands of these murderers, if indeed they chose to kill us outright in mercy. The Signor hid his face in his hands for a while, then he looked up and said, "'Can we bargain with them, Ignacio?' "'Impossible,' I answered. "'What have we to give that they cannot take?' "'Then there is nothing for it except to die as bravely as we may,' he answered. "'This is the end of our search for the Golden City. "'The quest has not been a lucky one, Ignacio.' Now the old Indian, Zibalbe, who was crouched upon the ground beside us, spoke for the first time, saying, "'Friends, why do you not fly? Doubtless you can find a path down the further side of the pyramid, and in the forest you may hide from these men.' "'How can we fly?' answered the Señor, "'when you have no strength to walk a step.' "'I am old and ready to die,' he answered." Leave me here and be sure that when the time comes I shall know how to slip through the grasp of these villains. My daughter, you go, go with them. You have the holy symbol, and should you escape and prove this stranger to be the man whom we seek, lead him to our home that things may befall as they are fated. Please, my father, said Maya, throwing her arms about his neck, together we will live or perish. These seniors may go if it pleases them, but here I stay with you. And so do I, said Molas, for I am weary of flying from the death that dogs me. Also it is too late to talk of flight, for look, they are coming up the stair, the eight of them with Don Pedro and the Americano at their head. I looked, it was true. Already they had climbed half the steps of the first flight. "'Oh, for some rifles,' groaned the Signor. "'It is useless to cry for what we have not,' I answered. "'God can help us if he wishes, and if he does not, we must bow to his will.' Then there was silence broken only by the voice of Zibalbe, who, standing behind us, lifted his hands to heaven and prayed aloud to his gods to bring a vengeance upon our foes. Now we could see through the trees and bushes that the men were beginning to climb the second flight. "'Come, let us do something,' said the Señor, and running to the piles of stones which we had prepared, he called to us to help him roll the heaviest of them upon the enemy. This we did for a while, but without effect, for the tree trunks turned our missiles. Moreover, those against whom they were directed, taking cover at the sides of the stairway, opened so sharp a fire on us that their with their rifles that in a few minutes we were driven from the stone heaps and forced to retreat behind the shelter of the arch. Now they came on again till presently they reached the foot of the third flight and paused to take breath. Then it was that Molas, seizing one of the Indian blowpipes, ran out on the terrace, followed by the Signor, 
though why the latter went I do not know, for he could not use the weapon. Before the men beneath were aware of their presence, Molosk had set the blowpipe to his lips and discharged the poisoned dart among them. As it chanced, it struck the Texan smith full in the throat. Watching him round the corner of the arch, I saw him lift his hand to pull out the dart. Then of a sudden he fell to the ground. At that instant a storm of bullets swept through the archway, aimed at Molask and the seigneur as they fled back for refuge. I saw Molas fall, and the seigneur stopped to lift him to his feet, and, as he was in the very act, a patch of red appeared upon his face. Another moment and they were under cover. "'Are you hurt?' I, I asked the seigneur. "'No, no,' he answered. "'My cheek was grazed by a bullet, that's all. "'Look at Molask. "'He is shot in the side. "'Leave me,' said Molask. "'It is nothing.' Then we were silent. Only Maya sobbed a little as she strove to staunch the blood that flowed from the seigneur's wound with cobwebs which she gathered from among the stones. "'Do not trouble, lady,' he said with a sad smile, "'for soon there will be other wounds that cannot be dressed. "'What shall you do?' By way of answer she showed him the poisoned dart which she held in the hollow of her hand. "'I cannot advise you otherwise,' he said. Farewell, I am glad to have met you, and I hope that we may meet again yonder, and he glanced toward the sky. Now you had best say good-bye to your father, for our time is short. She nodded, went to the old man, Zibalbe, who stood silent, stroking his grey beard, and putting her arms about his neck, she kissed him tenderly. Looking out carefully, we saw that the men had dragged Don Smith to the side of the stairway, where some of them supported him while he died of the poison, and others watched for a chance to shoot us should we show ourselves upon the terrace. Presently he was dead, and, cursing us aloud, his companions commenced to mount the third flight with a great caution, for they feared a snare. "'Is there nothing to be done to save our lives?' asked the seigneur in a heavy voice. There was no answer, but of a sudden Molosk, who was standing with one hand, pressed upon the wound in his side and the other before his eyes, turned and ran into the chamber behind us, whence he reappeared, carrying the copper axe. Then, without speaking, he climbed the masonry of the arch, with great swiftness, till he stood with his feet in the crack beneath the crown of the false arch, which you will remember was held in place only by the tough tree-roots that grew from it into the stonework of the buttresses, supporting himself by a creeper with his hand, with his left hand, with his right he struck blow after blow at the biggest of these roots, severing them one by one. Now we saw his purpose, to send two hundred tons of stonework thundering down the stairway upon the heads of the murderers. By heavens, that is an answer to my question, said the Signor, and he paused and added, Come down, Molosk, if the arch falls, you will fall with it and be crushed. It matters little, he answered. This is my doom day. That bullet has cut me inside, and I bleed to death. And on this spot, as I have long feared, it is fated that I should die. Pray for my soul, and farewell. Fare you well, you gallant man, said the Signor. I have no axe, or I would come with you. Farewell, Molosk, my brother, true servant of the heart, I echoed.
Of this I am sure, that you shall not lose your reward. Now three of the roots were severed, but the fourth and largest, which was thicker than a man's leg, remained, and at this Molas began to hew despairingly. Are they near? he gasped as the white chips flew. We peeped round the corner of the arch and saw that some seventy feet below us the band had halted on the slippery face of the pyramid, fearing they knew not what, for they heard the dull sound of the axe blows, but could not guess what it portended. One of their number was talking to Don Pedro, apparently urging something upon him to which he did not agree, and in this way they wasted two minutes before at last the order was given to rush up the remaining steps and take the temple by storm. Two minutes. It was but a short time, yet it meant much, for only a third of the root remained unsevered, and the bark cracking and peeling showed how great the strain upon it. Quick, whispered the Senor, they come, and as he spoke, the handle of the axe broke, and its head fell to the ground. Now if the root holds, we are lost, I said. But it was not to be, for Mola still had his heavy hunting knife, and with this he hewed frantically at the wood. At the third cut it began to part, torn slowly asunder as though by the strength of a giant, and while it gave the vast superincumbent mass of masonry which it had helped to support for so many years shifted a little with a grinding sound, then hung again. "'Come down, Molas, come down!' cried the Senor. But Molas would not. He struck one more blow, severing the root, and then with a shout of farewell, either through faintness or by, by design, he cast himself forward with outstretched arms against the face of the wall. His weight was little indeed, yet it seemed that it sufficed to turn the balance as dust turns a scale, for again the trembling mass moved perceptibly, and the tall trees upon the top of it began to nod as though beneath the sudden pressure of wind. Now it slid forward faster and faster, with sharp sounds like pistol shots came from the heart of it, and the trees above bent like a rod beneath the rush of a fish. Now also, for the first time, the villains on the slope below perceived the doom that threatened them, and uttered such a yell as I have never heard. Some stood still, and some flung themselves down the stair. One only, Don Pedro himself, rushed forward. It was too late. The mass of stonework, sixty feet by twenty in breadth, was falling. It was falling. It fell, taking Molas with it. With a roar like that of thunder it struck upon the stairway, and bursting into fragments swept it from end to end. No discharge of grape-shot could have been so terrible in its effects as this hurricane of stones that nothing could withstand. Even the big trees which stood in its path were snapped like sticks and borne away upon its crest as the carved masonry that had been carried up the pyramid by the long labor of the Indians of a bygone age rushed downward to its foot. In less than a minute it was done. The sounds had died away, and nothing was left to tell of what had happened except a little dust and some remains that had been men. 
Of all those who stood upon the stairway, only one survived. Don Pedro, who had run forward in the hope of escaping the fall of the arch. As it chanced, he was too late, for though the mass had missed him, a single stone struck him across the middle, breaking his bones and sweeping him to the foot of the first flight, but leaving him alive. When all was finished and the dust had fallen to the earth again, the Senor spoke, saying, Let us go and search for the body of our deliverer. So we went, the three of us, living Zibalbe in the temple, but we could not find it. Doubtless to this day Molas lies buried beneath some of the larger blocks of masonry. There were other bodies, indeed, from which we did not scruple to take the rifles and whatever else was likely to be of value to us. Better still, tied among some trees near to the foot of the pyramid, we found four good mules, one of them laden with ammunition and provisions, for Don Pedro had come out determined to hunt us down, even if he must follow us for days. Having picketed the mules where they could graze, we returned to the temple, bearing with us food and drink, of which we stood in sore need. On our way up the steps, Don Pedro called to us from where he lay, broken and bleeding, against an uprooted tree. "'Water!' he cried. "'Give me water!' The Señor gave him some mixed with brandy that we had found upon the sumpter mule. "'Your heart is merciful,' said Maya gravely. "'I am not cruel. "'Yet I think I should suffer that dog to die untended. "'All of us have sins to pay for, lady, "'and the thought of them should teach us charity, "'especially now when it has pleased God to spare us,' "'answered the Señor. "'I am dying,' moaned the wretch. "'My presentiment has come true.' and death finds me amongst the ruins. How dare I die, who have been a murderer and a thief from my boyhood? The seigneur shrugged his shoulders, for he could not answer this question. Give me absolution, he went on. For the love of Christ, give me absolution. I cannot, said the seigneur. I have no authority. Pray to heaven to shrive you, and your t for your time is short. Then he turned and went, but for a long time we were troubled by the last cries and blasphemies of this most evil man. Indeed, they did not cease till sunset, when, as I suppose, the devil came to claim his own. End of chapter 10